before Elise and I started dating, we were, <laughs> we were, <laughs> we were friends for a while. And uh, one day we were at a party and we walked outside to talk. And I don't even know why, but for some reason, after we were talking and we hugged. And when we hugged, I knew I felt something for Elise that I hadn't felt ever before for anybody. Stop laughing. That's not funny. This is serious. Now, listen, listen, listen. In that embrace, I knew that I felt something. But listen, that embrace is only a glimmer of the embrace that we are all made for. Every single one of us are made for an embrace, and it's called the divine embrace. Every single one of us are made for this. It's what humanity is longing for deeply. See, the embrace that I felt with Elise, psychologists will call that infatuation. And what happens is eventually infatuation fades and a deeper rooted love sets in. But here's what happens with the divine embrace. The deep rooted eternal love is there, but there's also this exciting infatuation loves that la love that lasts for an eternity. And that is part of the divine embrace. But that's not it. There's even more than these eternal pleasures that we get. This divine embrace encompasses so much more than this. So in English, we have one word for love. It's love, if you didn't know. But in Greek, there are four words for love. There are philly, which is brotherly love or friendship love. That's where Philadelphia comes from, the, the city of brotherly love. Uh, storge, which is like a parental type of love. Eros, which is a lot of the times thought of as like this erotic love, but actually it's about pleasure. It's about these desires for deep satisfaction, for deep rest, for deep ecstasy, for, for this deep infatuation. The last is agape, which is this deep, unconditional, lasting love. And so with the divine embrace, listen to this, the divine embrace encompasses all of this. It encompasses this young, exciting love. It encompasses this deep, lasting love, this ageless love. It also encompasses the fatherly love, and it encompasses friendship love, all wrapped up into this one great divine embrace. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to see three different types of people and how we don't find the divine embrace. They're all searching for this divine embrace, and we're going to see examples of how we don't find the divine embrace, how we do find it, and then we're going to look at the divine embrace itself. We're in John 13, verses 18 through 30. Now, here's what's just happened. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. We saw that last week, and now we're moving along, and here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking about. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he immediately went out and it was night. Now, first, we're going to look at how not to find this divine embrace. The story of humanity is this long and terrible story of us trying to find the divine embrace outside of God. I want you to consider this, that all of us are searching for this divine embrace, and much of our searching has been us settling for something that is far less greater than this great divine embrace. We are settling for something that is so much less than the real thing. And as you try to find this ultimate divine embrace, as you try to find it outside of God, the best word to describe it is betrayal. The same way that there is an embrace that is only meant to happen within this marriage, the, the, the embrace inside of a marriage, when you go and search for that embrace outside of your marriage, that is a betrayal. The same way when we search for this embrace outside of God, it is us betraying God. The same exact way. And this is what Judas does. See, Judas was in charge of the money. And he's probably in charge of the money because he's good with money. He was, you could think of it, he was like their accountant or kind of like their walking bank account. But he was good with money, and so he was in charge of it. But we see that what he was good at had an allure to it. It drew him in, and it drew him in close, and it caused him to betray Jesus. In fact, as the story goes on, we see that he sold Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. He sold him over to the religious leaders to be crucified for 30 pieces of silver. And listen, this is all about our want. This is about our eros desire, the eros kind of love. He wanted money more than he wanted Jesus. He was infatuated by it. He had the divine embrace right there in front of him. Everything that humanity wants is right there, sitting right in front of him, yet he was allured by money, and so it drew him away from the great divine embrace, and it caused him to embrace money. And here's what I want you to know. We all do the same thing every single day. And often, it's the things that we are good at that we betray God with. But these things always end up falling short of satisfying our desire for this divine embrace. Let me show you. So John D. Rockefeller is considered the richest man in modern history. And he, he was good with money. He was very good with money. And someone asked him, a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. 
And that's always his answer, just a little bit more. See, he, he was fat with money. He had everything he needed, but yet at the same time, he was fat with discontent. He was fat with dissatisfaction because he was chasing after this divine embrace through money, and it never could deliver for him. The story of Judas, it's meant it's meant, one, to show us, it's meant to show us that this was the plan. In the Old Testament, it talked about how someone would betray the one who's coming to rescue the world. And so Judas, Jesus didn't make a mistake by picking Judas. It was part of the plan. So it's showing us that, but here's the other thing it's showing us. It's showing us that we are susceptible to the same thing that Judas is susceptible to. We are not beyond this. There's a little bit of Judas in all of us. In fact, I bet for all of us, all of us right now, we could think of something that right now in this moment we want more than God. Whether it's happiness, whatever it is, there's something that we want more than God. If you say, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Listen, the story, you might be able to say that, but the story of your life that you look at, your actions are saying you want something more than you want God, right? I think we could all admit that. This is the Eros love that we are chasing after. It's about a want. And we have moments of clarity. I mean, maybe we have these moments where we're praying and we say, man, God, you really are enough for me. You really are the thing I want the most. We have moments of clarity, but very quickly we forget and our mind becomes occupied in things that we think are greater than God, that we want more than God in that moment. Something else holds our infatuation. And Judas obviously thought that money could give him a greater life than he thought Jesus could give him. Money held the infatuation of his heart. When you have Jesus, when you really have him, those moments of clarity, you realize that he is the prize. And Judas didn't have him. And I want to show you what happens when we go searching for this divine embrace without going to God for it, when we search in other places for it. The, let's just take relationship with our spouses. Or if you're not married, this, be prepared for this, okay? Listen, the infatuation that you have with your spouse will fade at some point. The infatuation will. But a deeper-rooted love starts setting in, and that's a good thing. But the infatuation will fade. But that's okay if you're going to God, because he is meant to fulfill these deep desires that you have in your heart. So you go to God, and it's okay. But listen, if you're not going to God, then you have these desires that aren't being satisfied. And then here's what starts happening to people. They'll start flirting with other people that is not their spouse. Or they'll end up cheating on their spouse, because they're trying to get these desires satisfied. And what will end up happening is you're going to wreck your spouse, you're going to wreck your kids, you're going to wreck your family, and you're going to wreck your friendships by doing this. Because you have desires that are not being met, that are only meant to be met in God. And, and eventually, anyways, the infatuation starts fading. You cannot walk through this life without wrecking everything around you at least if you're going to satisfy these desires, unless you're going to God. He will satisfy them. Or what happens is you turn 
to pornography. Pornography is going to give you, pornography's got these desires it's meant to fulfill, but listen to what happens. It's, it's these desires, it's in a, without an embrace. It's trying to meet these desires without an embrace. And so what happens is it's a selfishness that drives you to that because there's no love involved. And then what happens is your heart starts getting all messed up. Or just take something that you're good at, like with, with Judas. He was good with money. So you think of things that you're good at. You think of the things that you're chasing after. You think of the things you're trying to be successful at. So with me, my tendency is to embrace the success of the grove over God. Now, let me show you what happens when you do something like that. If I am doing that, then that means I start spending all my time thinking about the grove, thinking about the success of the grove, and then what happens? I'm sacrificing time with my kids. I'm sacrificing time with my family. And what's, now listen, in the Old Testament, there were gods of almost everything. And one of the things these gods would say is make sacrifices for the God of whatever. And the idea is if you made a great enough of a sacrifice, you could get what you want. So there were people sacrificing their children, literally taking the knife to their children so that they could get the things that they wanted in their life. When, when we do this, when we chase after success, there is a sense in which we are sacrificing our kids at the altar of success. There's a sense in which we're taking the knife to them because we are, our time with them is getting sucked away and we're spending it on chasing after success, the allure of success, or the allure of whatever else it is. But if you go to God, here's, here's what God says in Proverbs. Here's what it says. God gives rest to his beloved. And it says, unless the Lord builds what you are building, if you try to do it outside of God, then you are laboring in vain. Now, he, listen, it says that we toil with restlessness. We wake up early and we go to bed late, chasing after the success. And then it says, but the Lord gives rest to his beloved. And one of the things he's called us to do is to care for our families, to be there for our kids, to be there for our spouse. But if you chase after the divine embrace outside of God, you're going to chase after this embrace into something that robs you of your family. Or let's just say you're chasing after happiness. You can't embrace happiness you embrace something to give you happiness. The question is, is what you are embracing actually really giving you the happiness that you long for? It's the same thing with everything, with comfort, with rest, with satisfaction. You're chasing after these desires, but you can't embrace those desires. You have to embrace something to give you those desires. The only thing that's gonna fully ultimately satisfy you will be God, and everything else is gonna fall short. Now, if you say, well, hey, I've gone to God, and I'm not feeling any of my desires satisfied. Listen, well, listen. So, your, 
you're not going to God for God. You are then going to God to get something from God that you want more than God. The prize for you then is not God. So listen, here's what you do. You go to God in your prayer and you're like, God, please give me whatever. Because, and you want it. And you want that thing so bad and you become desperate and you're finally like, oh, I'm just going to pray for it. And you go to God and you ask the treasure of the cosmos for something that is far less than him. And he's like, you have me right here. But we go to him and we go to him with our prayers and we're like, God, just give me the thing that I want right now so bad. And we're coming to God and we're rubbing our betrayal right in his face with prayer because we want something more than we want him. Or here's what we do. We say, okay, God's got these list of rules. And if I follow these rules, God's going to give me what I want. And so you find yourself obeying God, not to get God, but to get something that you want and love more than him. I think this has got us all, right? We're all doing this. Okay, I want this thing bad. Let me think through. Okay, I can go ask God. All right, I've asked God. It's not working. It must be I need to get my act together. So we start coming to church. We start doing something so that he will give us something we want more than him. And the whole time he's saying, I am the prize. I'm going to tell you, I want to tell you this story that a pastor tells a story, an old pastor. He's dead now. And here's what he says. And this is, this is a great story showing how we do this with God all the time. Here's how it goes. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. One day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden in it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing, but there was a nobleman who was at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and was leading this handsome black stallion. And he bowed low and he said, my Lord, I breed horses. And this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will breed. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you. And took the horse and dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you are giving yourself the horse. And we do this with God all of the time. We bargain with God so that he will give us something that we want more than him. And we aren't going to him for the divine embrace. We're going to him so that we can go and embrace something else that's far less than divine. In Christianity, there is one great prize that is greater than all other prizes, and that is God himself. And when he becomes the great prize, everything else begins to fall in the place where it belongs. And, and by the way, when, when you make him the prize, 
everything else becomes that much more enjoyable because if you make something that isn't the true prize the prize, then you are going to this prize trying to get everything from this prize and that prize can't deliver because that prize is not God. God is the prize. Go to him for him. Now listen, Peter's doing something similar to this. This is this, if you're trying to find the ways where you're not finding the divine embrace, where you're finding it the wrong way, here's the second one. This will be quick. So Peter is very insecure right here. He asks John to ask Jesus a question instead of him asking it himself. Now, why is he feeling so insecure? Well, because remember, last week we saw Jesus was washing their feet. And here's what Peter did. Peter's always trying to one-up the other disciples. So Jesus comes along and he gets to Peter. And here's what Peter does. Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You can't do this lowly thing, this humble thing, this servant-like thing. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to earn this status of being greater than all the other disciples. And then Jesus is saying, Peter, you're missing it. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't have your share with me. Meaning you can't be a child of God with me. You can't have this divine embrace if you do not let me wash your feet. If you're, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, you should have been here last week, but I think you got it. So, so, so then, so Jesus says that to him, and then he tries to one-up him again. He says, okay, fine, don't wash my feet. Wash my hands, my feet, and, and my head as well. Wash everything. He's still, he's trying to outdo the other disciples, and here's what's going on with Peter. He wants the divine embrace, but he wants the satisfaction of having earned it. He wants the satisfaction of saying, I did this. Look what I've done. I want you to know churches are filled with these types of people. You look at this divine embrace and you say, I want it, okay, so I'm gonna earn it. Now, there are people who say, I can't earn it. And so what do they do? They avoid church like the plague. They think that God would never love them or accept them, so they avoid God and they spend their life running from God because they think they have to earn it. The other type of people who has to earn it is the people thinks they have to earn it is like Peter. And those types of people like Peter think they can earn it and so they flock to the church. And they come to church thinking, okay, I'm gonna earn this divine embrace. I'm gonna find all the reasons why God should love me and I'm going to do them and then God's going to love me. I want you to know that if you feel like you have to earn this divine embrace, you are committing to having a life that is filled with guilt. If you are trying to earn this embrace, you're going to feel like a mosquito holding up a 10-pound weight of guilt just hovering over you all of the time if you're trying to earn this embrace. You know, our culture will tell us, our culture says all the time, listen, uh, let's get rid of this word guilt. Let's just learn to love ourselves. Don't feel guilty about anything. You know what? This, this idea of good and evil, that's not really real. This is messing with us. We need to get rid of these words. We need to get rid of the word sin because if we get rid of the word sin, then we're gonna just all love ourselves. Now, now l listen, that doesn't deal with your guilt problem. 
all that that does is still, you're still left with this feeling of guilt, but you don't have the word to describe the guilt that you're feeling. Now, do you know what that does to you? You're, you are left feeling guilty, but you have nothing, you have no solution to the guilt that you are feeling. I don't know about you, but I need something real that will help me deal with the guilt that I feel. I need something real that's going to deal with my sin because it's there. I need someone to deal with the fact that there's this great divine embrace and I can't earn it and I don't deserve it. So I don't know what to do but I need something that's going to teach me how to deal with it. So how do you find this divine embrace? If, we're, if we can't get it, if we're guilty, what do we do? You have to look, look at what John does. John is called the beloved disciple. And John is sitting at the, well, he's actually laying down. Back then when you ate at the table, you're actually laying down and eating. You're on your side. So they would have been laying down at the table. And John is to the right of Jesus and he, he would have his arm here holding himself up, and he'd be eating with his right hand. And then it says that John asks Jesus the question because Peter's too scared to ask him. So John looks up at Jesus to his left, and it says his head, his face was literally, the words are in the bosom of Christ. He's, he's, he's in the chest of Christ. He would have looked up like this or like this, and he would have been right in the chest of Christ. And he's called this beloved disciple. Now, how did John get this title? And how did John get to be sitting at the right hand of Jesus in this place of honor? What did he do to earn this? I'm going to tell you. You ready? Nothing. He did nothing. The way to find this embrace is to simply walk up to Jesus and embrace him. The way to do it is to know that you bring nothing to the table except for nothing. And you will never do that. You will never, if you don't do that, you're never, ever, ever going to understand God's agape love, this unconditional love. His love, his, this unconditional love requires nothing of you except to know that you bring nothing to the table. You don't have to bring anything to the table. In fact, it's, it's, it's almost like an insult to God when you try to bring something to the table. It's a rejection of his love when you try to bring something to the table. He doesn't want you to bring anything. He just wants you to come and sit there next to him at his right side in the place of his beloved. You are loved because you are simply loved. And Peter didn't understand this. When, whenever I'm meeting with a couple for premarital counseling, I always tell them this story. So when Elisa and I first got married, we would, uh, we're, we're, you know, I love, I'm, I'm embarrassing myself all the time, but so we would ask this question because we're in a way fishing for the divine embrace. We say, why do you love me? Okay. And so I'm a preacher, so I have to use words. And so I, I have all these poetic answers. And Elise just says, well, I just love you because I love you. And, you know, I kind of walk around with my chest puffed out like I got the better answer. And then I, but I realized actually her answer is far greater because her answer is I love you because I love you. 
It's an unconditional love. It's a love that is steady. It's not moving. It's just she loves me because she loves me. There's nothing I did to earn that. She's just giving this gift to me. You see, it's an unconditional love. John had come to realize this. That's why he's sitting at his right side. John knows that Jesus loves him just because he loves him. John didn't earn it. It was given as a gift. And John knows that if he tries to earn the love, it's like a rejection of this unconditional love that Jesus is trying to offer him. And here's the secret to all of this. We're thinking about these four loves. Here's the secret. All of these other loves are built on this love. In fact, all the other loves are impossible without this love. You can't know the divine embrace unless this love is unconditional. All right, let's look real quickly at this divine embrace. We see it in verse 20. So here's what's going on. Jesus is talked about as being up in the bosom of the Father, in the chest of the Father. In verse 20, what we see is the Father is embracing the Son, Jesus, and Jesus is embracing us, and therefore we're embracing Jesus, but we're also embracing the Father through the Son, Jesus. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but this is all four loves wrapped up here. You get the fatherly love, this unconditional fatherly love that he has for the son. It's given to you because he's embracing you. And so you are loved by the father just as much as he loves the son. And then you get the brotherly friendship love in Christ. And all of this is built on this unconditional love that's being offered. And the spirit is showing you that this divine embrace is fulfilling every single one of your desires. G.K. Chesterton says, the man knocking on the door of the brothel is really searching for God. Listen to that. Every desire we have, the spirit is screaming at us, God will fulfill those desires. And every desire that doesn't seem right is a perverted version of us wanting God. But then we still have to ask a question. And it's a very, very important question. How is it that this love is unconditional? I mean, doesn't that violate the character of God? Doesn't it violate the character of God that he would just give love away to people who don't deserve it? The reality is none of us would just simply walk up to God knowing that we have been betraying him, that we've been going to other loves that we want more than him, wanting something more than we want God. No, nobody. How do you get the courage to just walk up to Jesus like John is doing? I want to show you this. And if you really get this, if you really get this, you're going to go running to God. Here's the question we have to ask. What would happen if Judas would have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, I messed up so bad. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Would Judas have found forgiveness for betraying the Son of God, giving him over to be crucified? Would Judas find forgiveness? 
Because if there's a little bit of Judas in all of us, then the answer to that question is going to depend on if we run to God or run from him. What would Jesus have said to Judas? Would he have forgiven him? Yes. See, God's love is unconditional. But here's why it's unconditional. Because the condition was met by Christ on the cross. All the conditions of this unconditional love have been met by Christ on the cross. That's why the conditions are unconditional for you. That's why this is an unconditional love. All the conditions have been met. Do you see that Jesus, when he sends Judas out to do what he's going to do, do you see Jesus is in distress? Do you know why he's in distress? Because he knows that if he's going to embrace you in this divine embrace, and he knows that if the Father is going to embrace you like he's embracing him, Jesus the Son, if the Father is going to love you with as much love as he has for the Son, Jesus knows that on the cross, he has to be betrayed because of our betrayal. He has to get what's coming to us so we can get what's coming to him. Jesus goes to the cross to pay the penalty for our betrayal. The unconditional love is unconditional because the conditions have been met by Christ on the cross. That's the only way. Because he, yeah, let me tell you, Joe, listen. I, well, here you go. I'm going to throw you in the dryer now. Um, Judas did not believe in everything I just said. Judas did not believe he would be forgiven. That's all of our problems. We don't really think that God is going to forgive us. We don't really think. We know that we've betrayed him. And so we're scared to go running until we finally believe. This is what faith is all about. This is what Christianity keeps screaming at us over and over again. Put your faith in Christ, not in yourself. If you put it in yourself, you're going to run from God. But if you put it in, in him, you're going to run to him because you're going to see all the conditions have been met. And Judas didn't think the conditions were met. And so he ran from God. Now, Jesus got the worst of it on the cross so we can get the best. And you know what that does? When you see that to be true, it causes you to go running to him. And you grab him. You put your arms around him. And he puts his arms around you. And there's nothing you can now do to get out because he's not letting you go. And that is the divine embrace. All four loves all wrapped up into this one divine embrace. That is what the human heart is longing for. And all you've got to do is to say, I believe this is true. And you go running to God. Lay down you thinking that you've got to earn the right to walk up and get this divine embrace. Because if you Think that. If you try to bring something to the table, you are rejecting what Christ has done on the cross for you. And you're rejecting the greatest display of love there has ever been. So just go. And go to him again. And go to him again. Because you know what? If you're not experiencing him, it's because you're not going to him like this. So let's just all go to him. Let's just do it. Let him draw you, though. Look at him and what he's done. Look at how he met the conditions, and it will cause you to run right to him. Let's pray.